Amen. Well, like I said, we're picking up the story, and I, in a group like this, there's always folks that are maybe just coming in or, or weren't here the last few weeks and don't know kind of the context, and, and we don't have time to recap everything, but we'll just say this. The children of Israel are, are absolutely free from their bondage and their slavery where they were in Egypt for 430 years. God's not only brought them out of Egypt, he's brought them through the Red Sea. He's not only brought them through the Red Sea, in so doing, he also absolutely annihilated Pharaoh and his army, completely setting free the children of Israel. They have their identity, they're a nation. And now what's happened is they're moving. They're on the move. The goal is to get them to the promised land. The promised land is not like a, a slang word. It's a literal place, a land that God promised to give them 400 plus years earlier to their forefather Abraham. And that land, quoting the Bible, is full of milk and honey. The idea there, it's fruitful and wonderful and green and lush and all those things. And that's the goal. That's where they're headed. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, God is not taking the direct route to get there. If they would have gone the direct route, maybe a couple of weeks, but he took them south and then across the Red Sea. And now he's, as we'll see in a few minutes, he's dipping south and west even more down into the Sinai Peninsula. For what reason? Along the way, they're making these stops, and what God is doing is testing them and growing them and, and taking them through circumstances that challenges their faith and their trust in God. And he's pulling Egypt out of them, and he's building faith into them. And guys, isn't that, and we've talked about that, isn't that exactly what God is doing with us on our journey? Amen? It's not that we just get saved. God is growing us up. God is getting the old life, the old self, the old world out of us, and he's trying to instill into us a robust and healthy and good, strong faith in him. And so that's kind of what's been happening. We left them um, on the, at a beautiful place, Elim, where uh, they were told there, there, there was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. No doubt they're like, can't we just stay here a little longer? But remember, the cloud is leading them, and the cloud begins to move. What is, if the cloud moves, what does that mean? You know, break camp. We're moving too. So that's what's happening, and that's where we pick it up uh, this evening. And we're going to move at a pretty good clip through the text. Um, it's real self-explanatory in some ways, and, and then we're definitely going to be making some applications along the way and then at the end. But let's get the story. Chapter 16, verse 1. So they set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. That's a, that's a fitting name for them, by the way. The wilderness of sin. Anyway, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So it's been two and a half months, and they're headed out into this wilderness experience, the desert. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, and I'm so tempted to, to whine like a little baby when I say this, would that we die, no, I won't do that. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. And you have brought us out here into the wilderness to kill us. <laughs> The whole assembly with hunger. So they set out from Elam. They leave the, the oasis, and they're headed into the deep desert. And along the way, the rations are running thin. The food supply is running out. 
and the handwriting's on the wall. We are going to starve to death. And their knee-jerk reaction was what? They grumbled against We're going to talk more about grumbling because it's going to come up again. In fact, no less than eight times that word is used in this chapter. So it's kind of a theme here. But they're grumbling. But not, they're not just grumbling. Who are they grumbling against? Moses. They're saying, Moses, you brought us out here. It's your fault. And did you notice another thing, by the way, what they were saying? You brought us out here to die, Moses, in the wilderness. We're going to die of hunger. <sighs> Man, I remember how it was in Egypt. So much meat all the time. And we just ate bread till we were stuffed and full. Really? Is that really what happened? You guys really think that that... It's funny, isn't it? They left Egypt, and as they think, when they're, when they're going through a hard time, they're thinking back, oh, back then in Egypt, it was so much better. Really? Was it so much better back in Egypt? Because actually, when you read the story, they were slaves. It says in chapter 3 of Exodus, they were crying out to God in desperation, saying, God, rescue us. They weren't, they weren't eating meat at their leisure. They weren't just, like, chowing down on pork chops all the time. Well, they wouldn't have. That was a bad example. They wouldn't be eating pork chops, but... But they weren't like having chicken or <laughs> lamb, thank you. They weren't scarfing down. They weren't eating as much as they, they weren't having bread so they were just stuffed sitting on the, like the life of ease. There's a lesson in that, isn't there? Because on our journey, you become a Christian, you start walking with the Lord, and there's a temptation. When things start getting hard, there can be this temptation to look back on Egypt, that is the world. Egypt is a type of the world in our life of sin. And you can look back and you can say, oh, back then, back in the day, that, that was really living. But now I'm a follower of Jesus and everything's hard. Be careful because Satan's really good at playing tricks on your memory. Because it wasn't all that great back then, was it? Don't ever let yourself longingly look back or look around on the island and be like, man, I'm following Jesus and I'm trying to live the right life and this and that. And I look around, everybody's having fun and everybody's partying, everybody's drinking, everybody's smoking pot and, and man, that looks like a super... No, it's not. Try to look a little harder. You are empty. You are desolate. You are crying out for meaning in your life and deliverance and you were trapped by the sin. It was fun at first, but then when you wanted to stop, you couldn't stop because it had you and it was taking you to hell. But God loved you so much he came into your life and he ripped you out of that life and he brought you into real life. Amen? That's the true story. So be careful. Don't let the enemy play that dumb game or the flesh play that game in your head. It wasn't better back in Egypt. That, this is a lie. But anyways, I'm a little preachy there. Anyway, let's move on. So check this out, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go and they'll gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. This is the second time in this journey he said that, to test them, whether they will walk in my way or not. And on the sixth day, um, when they prepare uh, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as what they gather daily. And we're going to talk more about the man and stuff in a little bit, but let's keep moving. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see that the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. What are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. Now listen to this. 
What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard their grumbling of the people of Israel, and say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, that you may know that I am the Lord. There's a lot there, but basically what happened is they're grumbling to Moses. Moses, why did you bring us out here? Moses, you're not being a good leader. Moses, blah, blah, blah. And God says, Moses, tell the people, I'm, I'm about to rain food down on you guys. In the evening, I'm going to bring quail, which was kind of a one-time event. It happens again later in their history in Numbers chapter 11. He says, in the evening, there's going to be quail, meat. And in the morning, I'm going to rain down bread on you. And what does he say? In essence, because I've heard your grumbling I've heard you complaining. And so he calls them together, and they look over towards the wilderness, towards the west or to the east, and they see the glory of the Lord, and they get the message. But here's what I just want to pick out of that. And I have it underlined in my Bible, and here's why. I have it underlined because it's a reminder for me. Look at the verse. It's at the end of verse 8. Your grumbling is not against us. It's against who? The Lord. That's a good verse to underline. Your grumbling is not against us, it's against the Lord. What was happening? The cloud was leading them. Moses was just following the cloud, he's the leader, and they're complaining against Moses. And God makes it perfectly clear to them, when you're complaining like that, and grumbling like that, and, and the word grumbling, it means like to murmur, it means to complain, it means to speak a, a verbal complaint against somebody else. And he's saying, when you do that, you're not murmuring against that person. Ultimately, you are complaining about God. That's a little, that's a hair convicting. I'm a complainer. How many of you guys are willing to be bold tonight and confess that you complain from time to time? Guys, this is, you are sinners, every one of you. We are. Check this out. This is, this is really, truly, like, very convicting. When I complain... Here's why it was about the Lord. They were complaining to Moses, but Moses was just following God. And God is sovereign. God is in control. God is doing something. And so God makes it very clear. No, it's, this isn't a complaint against Moses. You're complaining against me. I'm taking it personally. And the reality is, when I complain about the weather, when I complain about my circumstances, when I complain about, you know, you, you might say my boss, or, or I don't complain about my boss, but you might complain about, some other thing or those people or that organization. Listen, when we are complaining, we're ultimately complaining about God because God is sovereign, amen? And if there's a circumstance, no amen. I get it, I know, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to amen. Ultimately, God is in control of our life and guys, when we complain, when I, I'll leave you out of it. When I complain, I'm complaining ultimately against God. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 14, listen to this. Jot this one down in your notebook. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do everything without grumbling or questioning or, or complaining. Did you catch that verse? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. And it goes on to say, by the way, 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. He says, guys, this is how it should look as Christians. We shouldn't have complaining rolling off our lips. And I, 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 again, I just say, God, help me with this. Every time I complain, Holy Spirit, let me know so that I can confess it and repent of it. What if we actually believed complaining was a sin? like sexual immorality or lying or stealing. Oh, come on, everybody complains. We complain about our boss. We complain about our employees. We complain about that. But what if we actually believe the Bible and, and, and actually said, no, it's actually a sin. And it's a sin just like any other sin that needs to be recognized, confessed, and repented of. That would be awesome. And, and not only that, listen, it's not just the taking away of complaining. Philippians goes on to say, rejoice in all things. What if we replaced our, our complaining with rejoicing and thanksgiving? Amen? He goes on to say in that verse, we would shine. What, how do you do, how, you want to stand out and shine in this world? Just don't be a complainer because everybody complains about everything. So how awesome is it when you roll up on the job site or you roll up to school or wherever you are at and you're not complaining? And everyone else is, I'm, <laughs> I, I have, I'm glad the filter kicked in there. Everybody else is, complaining about stuff and we're like yeah but you know what praise god for this or i'm thankful for that may it be so amen that's a that's a tough one so he's like look you're not complaining against me you're complaining against god so look at chapter uh or excuse me verse 13 so in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning there was dew all around the camp and the dew had gone up when the dew had gone up there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. And you shall take one, an omer, which is about two liters, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less, but they measured it with an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it until the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. And some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. He said, morning by morning they gather it, as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. This is so fascinating. The miraculous provision of bread from heaven. So let's just look at this. So evidently, every evening, late in the evening, when the dew would come down on the, the, the ground, as the dew would lift, you know, evaporate or whatever, what would be left was some uh, flake-like thing. That's what the ESV calls it. The NIV calls it a thin flake-like frost, and the KJV calls it a small round thing. <laughs> I love it when the Bible uses that descriptive word. It was, a, it was a thing. And they looked at it, and they're like, what is it? Well, if you skim down, by the way, into chapter, uh, later in the chapter, verse 31, um, they called it manna because manna means literally, what is it? So they named it, what is it? And you also look down later on, and we're told this in verse 31, and we'll get there, but I'll read it real quick. It says, it was like 
coriander seed, but it was white, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Mm, this is getting better and better. Uh, Numbers 11 says it tasted like cakes when they baked it. It tasted like cakes baked with oil. So it was a small, little, flaky, round, white thing that you could grind up and bake or whatever. And, and th- Steve and I had a little, Steve and I, Pastor Steve and I, had a little bit of a theological argument about this over texting. Uh, first real disagreement we've had uh, since my tenure here, just theologically. He seems to think this is Hawaiian sweetbread. But clearly, because of the Hebrew word for manna, another rendition is Doritos, and where we get our English word Doritos. Clear, no, I'm just kidding. We don't know really what it was, but it was this delicious, perfect food that God provided for them every day. And just some things to keep in mind, and it'll make more sense as we go. But notice this. Um, it was flaky, kind of a, a, a yeah, thin, flaky-like thing. It, it was like coriander seed. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Is coriander, the coriander stem is cilantro, isn't it? Is that right? Somebody know that? For, okay, so, but the seed it produces, that's the idea, the coriander seed. It doesn't say it was that. It said it was like that, but it was white, tasted like honey, all the rest. But then what were they supposed to do with it? God would provide it, but what did they have to do? Each one of them, or enough for each one of them in the house, had to go out and gather it. But how often did they gather it? Once a week or what? Every day, morning by morning. This was the rule. Look, you go and get it each morning. Gather as much as in your household. And if you gather too much, it'll be just enough. If you don't gather enough, it'll be enough to to feed you. You gather it in. But listen, they weren't supposed to keep it until morning. They couldn't store it up. Isn't that fascinating? God's like, no, I want you to go and get it every day. Well, some smart aleck was like, you know what? I don't want to waste food. I'm going to put this in the pantry. They opened the pantry the next morning like, whoa, gross. There's like worms and maggots. Every time I can say maggot at church, I like to. But uh, there's maggots and it stunk. And, like, and, and Moses is like, I told you guys. No, it's day by day. You got to go get it morning by morning. Well, it goes on. Let's continue on. This is all going to come together. Hang in there with me. Look at verse 22. Now on the sixth day, on Friday, they were to gather twice as much bread with two two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. By the way, this is the first mention of the word Sabbath in the Bible. Bake what you will and boil what you will boil and all that is left over, lay it aside. Now they're supposed to lay it aside to keep it until morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today. Tomorrow is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. On the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there shall be none. Well, look at verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather it. Of course they did. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See? The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let each one of you uh, not go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So he makes this whole rule where you got to go out each morning and get it. But then he's like, but there's a little asterisk. On the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much 
And then go ahead and leave it for the next day because that day is going to be the Sabbath day, the seventh day, Saturday. And that's going to be your day just to rest. I don't want you to feel like you got to go get anything. Just rest. Take it easy. And sure enough, they're like, somebody woke up and was like, I'm going to go see if there's some food out there. And they go out and, and there was none. And God is like, I told you, just rest. I command you, rest. By the way, why is it so hard for us to obey this? Why is it so, and I'm not making a case for keeping the Sabbath and all of that. We understand, we have a New Testament understanding. But I'm just saying in general, why is it so hard for us to just trust God and rest? And just take a day or, or some time and just rest and let, just not strive. And, and that has just always been the problem. And they're like, man, if, if six days is good, seven days is better, we're going to go get some. And there was none. Let's finish this out and then I want to circle back. Now, verse 31. The house of Israel called its name manna, and I already read that, but it will go on. It was like coriander seed that was white, had the taste like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. And so Aaron placed it before the testimony to, to be kept. And the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years <laughs> until they came to a habitable land. Habitable? Habitable land. <laughs> they, they are the... Um, uh, they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and Omer is a tenth of a part of an ephah, just in case that's helpful. An ephah is a three-fifths of a bushel, so that'll probably help out too. And so for 40 years they ate this, and, and we're, we're obviously going to get to this some more later in the story, but fascinating. This is just a fascinating, wonderful portion of Scripture. What I want to draw us our, our attention to um, by way of application is this, is that when we read about this story of, of this angel's food, this, this bread from heaven, it's highly, highly typical for us in New Testament thinking. Highly typical. Now, keep in mind, I, I'm referring to what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, how that these very physical and very historical and true, real events that transpired for the nation of Israel oftentimes picture for us New Testament principles for our spiritual life. And in this chapter, man, it's like rich with that kind of typology. But it's not just typical, it's highly practical. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down, jot down two things. These are the two things. Manna is typical, number one, of the written word of God. And that's the one we're going to talk about tonight, quickly. Number two, and maybe even more importantly, manna is typical not only of the written word of God, manna is typical or points to or is an example or a picture of the living word of God, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen? So let's explore that for a minute. If you'll just go with me on this journey, let's talk about this first one, that manna is typical of the written word of God. Here's why I say that. Put your thinking caps on. Don't tune out yet. Listen, 
Jot down or turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Listen, I'll read it. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. For time's sake, I'm just going to start reading if you're turning there. This is Moses summing things up. He says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you'll be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Verse 2. You'll remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart. That's exactly what we're dealing with right now. Whether you would keep his commandment or not. Now listen, verse 3. And he humbled you. He let you hunger. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Listen, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, Man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Amen? Jesus, of course, later on when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he uses that scripture against the devil when the devil's like, hey, you're hungry, turn these breads into stone. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds from the Father. And guys, when we have the Bible in front of us, we have the written down word of God. Amen? This is the Word of God. What you're holding in your hands, the Bibles that you have right now, is the written Word of God. And this is the principle that I'll just lay down. It's simple, but it's, it's, it's important. Listen, what manna was to their physical bodies, the Word of God is to our souls. Manna was this food that nourished them and kept them alive and kept them healthy physically. And the Word of God is what will keep us alive and growing and mature and healthy spiritually. Amen? That's just what it is. Now, I was just thinking about this. Just consider manna for a second. It must have been the perfect food. It was everything they needed. They survived on it for 40 years. And they didn't just survive, they thrived. They were healthy, they were strong. And I'm not a nutritionist, but you got to think that that manna somehow, miraculously as it appeared, it was miraculous as well that what was in it was exactly what they needed to not only sustain life, but to thrive and to be strong and healthy. They fed it to their babies. They fed it to their teenagers. And I imagine, you know, God had to multiply it when they were teens because teens eat a lot. One, I remember one, we made the mistake when you're inviting my son Josh's football team over for a dinner. The whole team. Anyways, that's another story. But anyways, it was the perfect food. It had all the nutrients, all the vitamins, all the protein, everything to sustain them, to give them life. And here's my principle. Don't lose me. If man it was to their bodies what the Word of God is to our souls, listen, we need to understand something about the Word of God. It is exactly what our souls, our spirits need to be healthy and to be strong. It is the complete diet for our soul. Amen? Now think that through. I, I I'm going to run out of time. I can, I can taste it. But um, I want to give you just a couple of things to consider. Listen, I'll just read this one for now. This is, jot it down, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 says this. And he's going to use all word like law. He's going to use the word um, testimonies. They're all synonymous for the idea of the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are righteous, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, much more than fine gold, and it goes on. In essence, what that passage is saying is the word of God is everything we need. It's pure and righteous. Interestingly enough, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and the entire psalm is talking about how amazing the Word of God is. It's an acrostic, by the way, 22 stanzas, and each stanza starts with that succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's just, it's a masterpiece in its original literature, but the whole thing is about the Word of God, how it enlightens our path and, 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 and comforts us in sorrow, makes us wiser than our teachers. I think about what Jesus said about the Word of God. He said in the great high priestly prayer, John 17, 17, he says, Father, sanctify them through your truth. What? Your Word is truth. He says in John 15, 3, that we can be washed with the Word. It's like water. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 tells us that the Word of God is like milk that feeds us. It's like meat that feeds us. And on and on and on we could talk about this, this concept of, of the Word of God providing everything we need solically to be nourished and strengthened. And I'm not just trying to go on to fill up time. This is important. I think of Colossians 3.15. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. The Word of God dwell in you richly. What follows Colossians 3.15? A whole thing on practically how to be a husband, how to be a dad how to be an obedient child, how to be an employer, how to be an employee. Guess where you find wisdom for that stuff? In the Word of God. Are you guys catching what I'm throwing here? The Word of God is what we need to sustain us spiritually. Which bears, this is the important point, and I'll probably make it a couple different ways, but. So if you don't eat manna back in the day, you starve. If you don't eat the word of God in our day, you starve, right? So let's keep on with this analogy, this metaphor. It's this perfect food. And by the way, I just want to say this as an aside, kind of away from the outline a little bit, but just something I want to say to you. Because we live in a culture, the, under, the assumption is that the Bible you're holding is inaccurate, full of contradictions, written by men, unreliable, myth. Anybody hear any of those? Come on, in any conversation you've been in, you, you can't use the Word of God. You can't use the Bible as some foundation for life or, because it's so full of errors and all of the rest of those lies. You know, I was just the other night getting ready to go to bed, and I made the mistake of getting on Netflix, and I found the movie on Netflix. I highly recommend it, The Case for Christ. So it's the story of Lee Strobel, who wrote the book with the same name millions of copies. I've actually never read the book to my shame. But th the point of it, and I won't spoil it all for you, is that true story in the 80s. He's an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. His wife gets saved, and he hates it because she starts changing. And he's a staunch, aggressive atheist. So he um, goes on this secret mission to disprove the Word of God so that he can get his wife back. <laughs> the problem was, when he did all of his research... He ends up giving his life to Jesus. Spoiler alert, sorry. It's an old story. 
the, the reason I bring that up is one of the first things he thought, well, if I can just debunk that the scriptures are unreliable, then that, that just the, the whole thing will fold right then and there. But that was the first thing that smacked him right in the face. There is more manuscript evidence to prove the reliability of the Bible than any other document. In fact, any other document in the world doesn't even come close to coming close to coming close to the amount of manuscript evidence that, is re- that makes this absolutely reliable. And I can't go into all of it, and I'm not a scholar in that regard, but I can tell you this. You can have absolute confidence that the Bible you're holding in your lap, unless it's the message, Austin. I'm just kidding. Um, the Bible that you're holding in your lap is the Word of God tried and true. Amen? And don't let anybody get you derailed on that. Do your own research on it. It'll be good for you, but it's reliable. Now, moving on. Listen. Just like manna was to their body what the word of God is to our soul, just like manna provided everything they needed physically and the word of God provides what we need spiritually, how were they to treat it? Listen, number one, I'm going to go through this quickly, but they're important. They had to gather it. Simple. But they had to gather it. Each one had to gather, or at least enough for each one in the house. Each person had to have enough for them. But they had to go get it. That's the point. God provided it. He's like, look, it's right there. It's laying out on the ground for your taking. Go get it. Feed. Go. And they could wake up in the morning and go, oh, that's so, what a miracle that God gave us manna. But if they don't get off their keister and go get their little omer jar and go gather it up, it does them no good. And guys, this is just Going back to the last point I made, guys, the Word of God is what we need for spiritual growth and maturity. But we have the part we play in this, God's provided it, but we got to go gather it. By gathering it, I mean we've got to read it, we've got to devour it, we've got to take it in. Well, yeah, well, my dad's a pastor, so what? Well, my parent, my mom reads the Bible every day, good for her, but what about you? You got to read the Bible. You got to get the Bible into you. Listen, this is, a, this is a law in spiritual life. If you and I are not taking in the Word of God, you and I will not mature in the things of the Lord. Bottom line, maturity and the Word of God go hand in hand. Case in point, I'll just jot it down. You can check it out later. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he addresses them as being carnal. Why? Because they were still like babies and they could only handle the milk or the basic things of the word and they hadn't moved on to the meat or the more in-depth things of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5, same thing. They were stunted in their growth. Why? Because they weren't taking in the word of God. That's why you can see somebody who's two years old in the Lord and somebody who's 25 years in the Lord but the guy who's two years in the Lord has an appetite and, and a tenacity to be in the Word of God, and he can leapfrog in maturity the person that's 25 years old in the Lord. Listen, you might be 30, 40, 50 years a Christian, but that doesn't mean you're growing up or mature in the Lord. You have to take in the Word of God. You have to read it. You have to gather it, so to speak. Amen? I mean, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, everything in hell... And everything in your, in your own old nature does not want to read the Bible. So it has to become a discipline. And sometimes I think we're scared of that word in Christian circles because we don't want it to slip into legalism. I'm not talking legalism. I'm talking discipline where we have to say, no, it's good for me 
and not only good for me, it's vital to my survival. What if we viewed reading the Bible as vital to our survival as Christians? That's how we have to read it or look at it. We have to say, I need your word, Lord. Speak to me. So they had to gather it. But how did they gather it? They had to gather it daily. Did you notice that? They, just like the manna, they had to go out and get it every single day. Have you ever thought about this? If God, the miracle-working God, could make manna appear every day, couldn't he have easily, just as easily said, and you know what, just to make it more convenient, once a week. Just go do your grocery, sh- your grocery gathering once a week or, or, or monthly or every s- quarter. Just go out there and stock up. Could he have just as easily done it like that? Yes or no? Don't lose me. He could have. But in his sovereignty, he said, no, I want you to do it every day. Why? I suspect it has something to do with this. He wanted them to live in this constant understanding that each day they needed to be dependent and look to God as their provider. That they needed daily food, daily food, daily food. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day, our daily bread. If they tried to leave it for morning, it it bred worms and stank. Listen, you can't live on yesterday's manna. You can't live on yesterday's manna. Oh, the Lord spoke to me in the word today. That's awesome. But listen, tomorrow morning when you get up, you got to do it again. We need, we need God's word every day just like you need. You know, I, I'll go to a restaurant sometimes, have a great meal. When I went back to uh, Oregon, I, I had a great meal Friday night. Ordered, it was happy hour at the sushi place, and we ate copious, filled up the table with rolls. Can I get an amen? And I could easily say, well, that'll, that, that, you know, I ate so much, that should get me through the week. No, nah, man, next morning I'm like, I'm hungry. We need to eat daily. Just like we need food daily, we need the Word of God daily, 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 daily. And I'm telling you, this is why there's so many weak, malnourished Christians. Because we're not taking in the Word daily. And I, please hear my heart. This is not meant to sound at all judgmental or condemning. There's no condemnation in Christ. That, it's not condemning at all. It's just a matter of fact. You cannot be a healthy, strong believer if you are not daily in the Word of God. you got to set a time and a place. And I feel so bad for moms with small children because I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But find a time to take in the Word of God. Amen. Every single day. Make it a priority. And lastly, not just daily, but did you notice when on that day? In the morning. Now again, I'm not going to make, there's no law on this. In fact, when I was in high school is when the Word of God started coming alive to me, and I couldn't, I was, wasn't a morning guy, but um, every night before I'd go to bed, I'd try to read like three chapters in the New Testament, and, and the Word began to come alive to me, and I, I, I really love those times. But there is something about the morning. There's something about getting up. And we use the excuse all the time, I'm too busy. If we're too, we're never too busy to eat, it seems like. Let's not be too busy for the word of God, amen? If, if I need to get up a half hour earlier or an hour earlier, it's worth it to get that meal, right? To get fed. And notice what it said. When the sun came up, it melted away. How many of you could say that that's kind of the same as our day? When the sun comes up, if I haven't gotten into the Word of God, if I haven't set that time aside, I have every good intention of doing it later, but the day is off and running, and how hard is it to get back into the Bible then? You know what I'm saying? 
I mean, it's possible, but it's harder. There's something about start, listen, there's something about the first thing before you get on social media, before you open Instagram, before you go to Facebook, before you go to news, before you do any of those things, say, no, I am not going to look at any of that stuff. I'm not going to read any of that stuff until I have first put into my heart and my mind and my thoughts the word of God so that I can look at that stuff through the right filter later. But I'm not going to let that stuff form the way my day is going to go. I'm not going to start out looking at Instagram automatically jealous of their trip to the Bahamas or something. I would say Kauai, but we live here, right? Anyways, daily, they had to gather it morning by morning. Amen. We need the Word of God every day. Church, listen, we've got to be men, women of the Word. How do we avoid bad doctrine? How do we stay healthy, strong? We have to be in the Word. We have to be in the Word. My mom used to tell me, it's, it's good advice, what if we only ate once a week? What if going to church was the only time you got the Bible read to you? That's great, praise the Lord, but you can't survive on that. And, and hats off to you guys, here you are in the middle of the week getting a good Bible study, praise the Lord. Podcasts are great. Teachings are great. We should utilize all that stuff, but that can't be your mainstay. You have to, per- listening to Christian radio is great, but if that's all you do and you're never actually reading the Bible, you are stunting your growth. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. It's good. Please do do that. But don't let that be your main diet. Make your main diet be you personally sitting down with your Bible and notebook in hand or whatever and just taking and reading out loud the Word of God. Amen. And I'll end with a couple of, go- just a couple tips. Read the Word. Read it out loud. Read it daily. I don't understand. I know, I don't understand it all either, but keep reading, amen? Because even when you don't understand, it's getting in there and the dots will connect later, but just let it wash into your soul. Pray before you read. Read it out loud if that helps, but make sure you're reading, 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 reading the word of God. Lastly, and I'll close with this, let me ask you an honest question. Are you hungry for the word of God? Honestly. Are you hungry for the Word of God? And many times we don't read the Word of God because we're not really that hungry for the Word of God. And there's a lot of contributors to that. You know, it's just like any other thing. If my wife fixes an awesome meal, but I fill up on junk food before I get home, I'm not going to be hungry for that good food. And a lot of the reason why we're not hungry for the Word of God is we're filled with other junk. So we need to sometimes get rid of the other stuff and replace it with a healthy diet. And isn't it interesting, the the healthier you eat, the more you want to eat healthier? And the more you read the Word of God, the more you want to read. It's like coffee. You know, it's hard to take it first. Just keep drinking it. Well, coffee, that's not a good example. Coffee actually has an addictive chemical in it. But the point is, it's kind of an acquired taste. And sometimes that's how the Word of God is. It's an acquired taste, and you read it. Another thing that can keep you from having an appetite for the Word of God is sin, unconfessed sin. That can keep you from it. <laughs> One last thing, and we'll end on this. Another reason we oftentimes don't have a hunger for the Word of God is we're constipated. Let me, that, that bears some explanation. Um, when you're constipated, you're not hungry for anything, right or wrong. But a lot of times we're spiritually constipated. And that's, listen, I think this is the biggest danger of a church like ours. Here's what I mean. If you're always taking it in and taking it in and taking it in, 
but it's never getting out. You can, if you take in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and you read and you read and you read, but you don't live it and you don't do it and you don't share it, it's like getting spiritually constipated. It's the, it's the classic example of in Israel where you have the Sea of Galilee teeming with life because there's an inlet and an outlet versus the Dead Sea that has an inlet and no outlet and it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives there. And oftentimes what happens is if we're just taking it in and taking it in, but it doesn't have an outlet and it's not becoming real to us and we're not fleshing it out in, in obedience, what can happen is we just get bored with Bible study. Well, that's another Bible study. It's lost its flavor. It's lost its edge. But listen, that's on you because it has stopped flowing through you and it's just kind of been stopped and it's just become intellectual fodder instead of life-giving food. Amen? All that to say, let's end with this. Let's all stand right now. And I promise, this is the fourth time I said let's end, but we're actually going to end. <sighs> Sorry. Here's how I want to end, though. Is I want us to just say a couple of things to the Lord. Lord, give me a hunger once again for your word. Maybe the word for you tonight was you're a complainer. Repent tonight of complaining. Ask the Lord to forgive you and help you. Maybe tonight you say also, I want to have that hunger. I used to, I used to. Peter talks about have, just desiring the pure milk of the word. Lord, give me that again. I want to I just have that. Like a baby fresh out the chute is just is hungry for, for milk. I want to have that hunger for the word of God where I just, I need it in my life again. And if you've lost that, I, why not tonight just say, God, stir up that hunger for your word. In fact, I'm going to go home and read the Bible tonight. I'm going to set my alarm tonight, get up a half hour earlier, and read the Word of God tomorrow morning. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd rekindle that hunger, that you'd give us. May Calvary Chapel North Shore be a church where we are hungry for the Word of God. Not just reading it, but also doing it and knowing it. And Lord, not just scribbling notes or agreeing with theology, that's great, but Father, that it would just be food for our souls. Father, where those have been stunted in their growth because they've stopped that intake of the word, Father, help them to go gather it again every day. Father, forgive us for forgetting that you provided the perfect food for our souls. And Lord, help us to go and get it with the tenacity. And thank you, Lord, that you, there's a never-ending supply. We can go and get as much as we want. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong in the Lord. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen now. Listen, before that, the word of God is typical of the word of, the, the manna is typical of the word of God, but it's also typical of Jesus himself. And that's where we're going to pick it up next week, and it'll dovetail into chapter 17. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.